Welcome back to Thirsty, the podcast. I'm Laura Koo. And I'm Heather McGee. Today we're asking, is true love real? Hello, everybody. Before we get started, just a reminder that we do have our subscription series, uh, The Thirst Trap, um, which you can subscribe to on Spotify and on Apple. It's $1.99 a month. You get some bonus episodes that you don't get over here on the free side, as well as a 10% off discount in our Thirsty Shop, which is at thirstythepodcast.com. You can buy some fun mugs and hats and sweatshirts and all kinds of good stuff. I have been living in my Thirsty the Podcast sweatshirt for more days than I would like to admit. So it's real cozy and nice. And also as a reminder, um, share um, Thirsty with your community, those you feel like might need this in their lives or might resonate with them. And as always, please rate, review, and follow us on our social channels, um, which we really appreciate. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're so happy you're here, Laura. You've got some, uh, you've got some exciting news that I, I mean, I have nothing to do with it, but I'm excited about it for you and also trepidatious. <laughs> yes, I always said that I would never run a marathon because people are not meant to run that many miles at once. And then I registered for the Chicago Marathon this year, and I actually had this is very timely because I had a marathon nightmare last night. Oh no, what was I'm not this? making this up? Yeah. What was this? Um there is it was a long and drawn out dream, but it ended with me finally running. There were a lot of like mishaps along the way to actually my um my group starting. And I was in um the Corral B, which I don't know how that happened in my dream. I was I think I was very positive about myself. I was way up there in the front in my dream. I know it's confusing. Um but um so I finally start running and then I realized I had was wearing a brand new pair of socks because I did in real life just buy new running socks and I was wearing for them for the first time while running the marathon, which is nothing new on race day. I know that rule. And they were making my feet slide around in my shoes. My shoes were too big. So that was uncomfortable. And then I didn't do the other things. I've been having issues with blisters and stuff. I didn't do anything to take care of my feet beyond this. And I'm running and I knew this and we're only a mile in. And I'm like, well, I'm screwed because I can't run like this. And for some reason, I couldn't get the clothes I needed to wear. So I was running in my um, oldest daughter's um, school t-shirt with their school mascot on it. For some reason, I was wearing a 10-year-old's t-shirt and ill-fitting shoes and socks. This is so bad. It was really bad. I think because I was looking at different marathon training plans last night and trying to start figuring out when I need to really start training and starting to look at mileage and just some of that um, last night and avoiding doing other things I needed to do. So that it was just on my mind last night and it translated into a nightmare. So that was awesome. But I'm excited running on the charity team for my workplace. I work for a hospital, so I get to run on our team, which is super exciting. And one of my coworkers on my team runs. And so she's doing it again this year. So that'll be fun. Um, I'm very nervous about it, but I'm hoping that I will um, be accountable and train appropriately. And so it'll be a good experience. 
That's well, well be. You're going to do so great. And I'm so excited for you. I mean, it, it is a different level of race than anything. You, like there's no even comparison between that and a half marathon. It's a one, it's a different kind of race, like all the <laughs> way through and the training so different, but it's so fun. And you're so proud of yourself and the Chicago marathon for anyone who doesn't run, there's something called the Abbott world majors. It's Berlin, London, Tokyo, Boston, New York, and Chicago. Those are the six world majors. And so Chicago is one of those. And it's one of the best marathon courses in the whole world. It's flat. People are cheering for you the whole, the whole time. And it's truly, I'm so excited to come spectate and cheer for you. I'm going to bring my kids because I have kids that weekend. They're going to hold signs for you and put on a show. And it's going to be so funny. They love spectate too. But y'all, I'm not kidding. There are hundreds of thousands of spectators that are down there just spectating. And I cry every single time, whether I'm running it or I'm watching it. And it's just the most incredible thing. The world's elite athletes come to run it and you're a part of it. You're one of them. It's crazy. In my dreams, I was one of them because I was right up there in the front. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. B corrals for the good runners. <laughs> <laughs> in my dream, I was in B. So I'm usually in like J or K. That, yeah, that's how I many corrals on. there are, y'all. It goes all the way to like in. <sighs> Yeah, it's going to be massive. No, it'll be good. I'm excited. I'm excited to like have a goal of something to work toward this year, which I think is really important. And when I like think about it, like some days I feel like I'm a million years old. And then some days I feel like I'm in my twenties. It is very confusing. And so like, I just want to like, it's nice to do things where you like feel young and you feel alive and you're pushing your body and like all of those great things um, that I think are so important to do and having a goal that pushes you is so helpful. So this is a big goal to work toward. Um, so it'll be good. That's awesome. I'm so excited. And you've got a big update too, Heather. Yeah. I, uh, I just enrolled for grad school. That's huge. That's yeah, I know. I'm actually pretty terrified about it. It's something I've been thinking about doing for years. I've wanted to get a master's degree and I've gone back and forth. Well, what should I do? What should I get? What should I go for? And of course, like my initial thought, I, I still remember one somebody I was dating at the time, like made this joke. And I was like, I could go into art history or photography. And and he was like, what? So you can have two useless degrees? <laughs> well, I mean. So um, yeah, in regular life. So I, I do creative uh, in the marketing, in marketing orgs for my job, my full-time job. And while I have the creative and strategic side on lock, I have a long history there. I don't have the science. Marketing has actually more and more become highly scientific, mm -hmm. highly numbers and data driven. And you can't just like learn that you, you have to go to school for those things. So I'm really excited to go do it. I'm going back to DePaul. Nice. That's where I went for my BFA. I start next month. I'm terrified. I'm starting off with two classes. I was going to just do one, but then I decided to do two. Yeah. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm not, it's not a light workload by any means. I know. I don't know why I did that to myself, but I think I just want to get going on it. I'm going to take, I'm not going to take any classes this summer. It's just going to be this one quarter and I'm going to see how it goes, but I'm super excited about it. Mm -hmm. Learn something new and finally actually do it. That's awesome. I have no desire to um, ever go back to school. So <laughs> I think it's so interesting when people do that and they pile it because it is a lot to add on, especially yeah. when you haven't been in school in 
a number of years. And so like, that's, you know, that's probably part of my trepidation too, of like going back into lectures and tests and projects and papers. Like that's all a lot. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how it's going to go. I do think it's pretty lecture heavy, it seems in a lot of ways, but there's apparently a statistics class that I'm going to have to take, which apparently that's a total disaster. So I'm really scared about that. And then it's then I have to do statistics too. Like there's two classes. Those are the two I'm going to have trouble with. There are other ones that are like management, communications, creative, mm-hmm. strategy. It's like, I can do that in my sleep. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, anything you can write a paper to get through, fine. But actual yeah. like math related work. Oh. I'm, I'm terrified. Well, it's kind of funny. You and I both chose for our big new things that we're doing. I never want to run a full marathon again. I am done. I've done four of those. No, thanks. I'm done. And so I'm so excited for you. You feel the same way about me going to grad school. (laughs) I would rather run a marathon than um, go back to school. So (laughs) that is very clear. It's certainly cheaper and you'll be done faster. That's for sure. And you'll be, (laughs) and you get a medal at the end. They don't get, well, I guess I get a diploma. I get a diploma. diploma. That's my medal. Yeah. But no, I mean, I'm not that fast of a runner. So, I mean, hard to say. Who's going to make your degree sooner? Oh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. So, today, this episode is airing the day before Valentine's Day, which Yay. is so exciting. It's a holiday that both Laura and I love. We actually uh, decorated cookies this weekend. We're such grandmas. Laura sent me and I was like, hey, I'm going to decorate cookies this weekend. Do you want to come over? I was like, yes. It was so much fun. I love Valentine's baking. I love all the hearts, all of that stuff. So because uh, I didn't really make any Christmas cookies. I was not interested. But Valentine's Day, I can't. I don't want to miss the opportunity to make a bunch of heart shaped things. Oh, we had so much fun. It was really good. So, you know, Valentine's Day, we thought, you know, this is a good opportunity to ask ourselves the biggest question of all. Is true love real? Yeah. Is true love real? And I I have to laugh though, as a sidebar, while I was researching this, you know, I read a bunch of articles, did a lot of reading, you know, to prepare and see what other people are saying about it. And I had to laugh because one of the top search results on Google was find out if your boyfriend or husband is on dating sites. <laughs> and did you find out if there is a foolproof proof way to learn about this? I feel like a lot of people want to know the answer to that one. Oh, well, you can definitely do that. Make a, a, you just make an account with a different phone number or yeah, you just go on there and you try to find them. And then you set the, this is terrible. I have an actual answer for this. And then you set your filters to where, you know, they are in their age and you like laser point it and then they'll turn up or they won't. True. Ugh, awkward. Yeah. And there are also websites where I think you can pay and they'll find out for you. That sounds terrible. I don't have that issue because I'm single now, but <laughs> Well, you didn't need any of those articles, so that's great for you. Yeah, I was like, oh, not my problem at all whatsoever, definitively. But we did start with asking this question to all of y'all. We actually put it on our social media, and we asked people a couple of questions. First, is true love real? And then we said, well, why or why not? And I was actually surprised at the results. We got 100% yes, true love is real. Which A lot of optimists out there. Yeah, so again, Laura and I are very different. And I'm a Grinch. I was like, true love is real. What? Everyone, 100%. That was surprising. And then I did love this one when we said, why or why not? Aaron sent this quote in, love is what keeps us going. If not for love, then why? That's so sweet. Nice one. Yeah, I thought that was nice. So we know what you all think. 
first of all, though, Laura, before we get into it, how do you, what do you think true love is? That's something people just throw out there. Yeah. Well, I do believe in it. I don't know where you land on it, but I would have answered yes in that poll if I had participated. Um, I don't know. I mean, I see it as, I mean, kindness, connection, honesty, all of those great things. But I really think ultimately it's being able to see the other person for who they are, not who you want them to be, but who that person is at their core. You're not trying to change them. You're not trying, well, if they did this or whatever, like who that person is. And if you connect with that, because they're not going to change and you shouldn't be in something where you're trying to change them. Like you love that person at their rawest, at their realest. And then, you know, that feeling is reciprocated. You know, they feel that same piece with you because I also think that there's kind of that reciprocal piece, obviously to to love ideally that you both love each other. Um, But, you know, you have all of those other pieces and that chemistry and all those things that we want to talk about, but at the, you know, the most base level. It's just, you're not changing a thing about that person. Yeah. This is such an interesting question to me because this is a phrase that we've all heard so many times. Right. And I think actually sitting down and and thinking, well, what does true love mean to me? Because I I think it does mean something different to most, to every person. I think what you think true love is may not be what I think it is. And so that's kind of the interesting thing about it. For me, Laura and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I am really skeptical and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I am very skeptical. Um, I think I bring a little bit of a jaded viewpoint in here a little bit, but I think true love is friendship. It's support in all the ways. It's wanting to make each other's lives better. It's partnership. And it's growth and complementary directions. I think that's what it is for me. Like if I were in that scenario, that's what I would say that that is. And then we also talk about dopamine versus actionable love. Because I also kind of differentiate between love and true love. Like true love is like pretty, not perfect, but it's pretty good. Pretty good. Like there's a lot of people I've loved that I would not even say it was a healthy relationship. So there's a difference between that and true love. I feel like true love is when you have both. You have both love as a verb and you have the dopamine. I think you get both because we talk about the dopamine hit like it's a terrible thing, but it's not. I mean, it's a really fun and it's fun to feel that way, right? As long as it's backed up by real love where you really care about each other and are good to each other. In that case, it's awesome. Well, it's being able to see past that dopamine piece. Yeah. And think critically about who you're with in your relationship. And are you loving each other in a real way beyond just like feeling great? Yeah. Now, something that I was shocked by, I actually sent a message to Laura as soon as I saw this. I was like, did you know this? And I think your response, Laura, was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this. So science There are scientific studies that have actually indicated, you know, science actually doesn't prove things. They just indicate things, but they have, science has indicated that true love is real. There's actual scientific evidence supporting that idea. Real science, not Cosmo or L. Real science. (laughs) Like printed in in Oxford uh, Research Journal, things like that. Um, And so some of that was really interesting to me. So for them, they define true love as long lasting. Like it's not true love if it was like five seconds. So they did a study with long-term partners and their definition was 10 years or longer. And they, that one of the big highlights was that new love 
excitement can last long-term, that dopamine hit. And the study indicated that multiple and repeated long-term partners in their study continued to activate each other's dopamine okay. 10 years later. Like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was excited. Like I was at a football game cheering while reading this. I was like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> but that's how <laughs> jaded I am because I was just like shocked. Couldn't then, be real. Yeah. And I did like check who did the study and where it was published. And then I saw it was like Oxford and Yale. And I was like, oh, okay, it is real. Because I was like, this can't be real. Can you imagine if that's your job though? Like your job is to figure out if true love is real. That's adorable. I love it. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I'm a love scientist. Yeah, that's probably a thing. I would love it. You would be good at that. I'd be terrible at it. All right. And the second thing that they came away with was long-term true love. And I'm not surprised about this because we've talked about attachment theory. Long-term true love shares the same brain circuitry as parent-infant bonds. And that uh, adjacency is why they connect attachment theory and love, a romantic love. Because they they share the same circuitry. And so they actually... Like, I, I didn't believe that either. You know how I didn't used to believe in attachment theory, even though, mm-hmm. like, it's a very well-researched thing. I was like, why? Well, I know better. That's why. Because it, it is adjacent. It shares a lot of the same neural circuitry. And that's why it impacts your romantic love, because it, it was burned into your brain by your experience with your parent or caregiver. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. It's all connected. So something else I saw that I thought was really interesting, and I've heard this before, but I had forgotten about it. And I also, I really love this because there you can do something about this. The three loves. So what I read about was that people tend to fall in love three times in their lifetime. And okay. each one is for a different reason. First love, young love. So... <laughs> That would be like my first boyfriend. I was 18. He was a bartender. It was pretty bad. He drank and he smoked a lot, but we were crazy for each other. I would call that first love. You had a funny high school boyfriend that was sounds somewhat similar to my situation. I don't know that I would call him funny, but yes, it definitely was a young love pseudo toxic situation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's first love slash young love. Then there's second love also known as hard love. And this is actually the one that you're going to repeat over and over again until you get your lessons. I was like, wow. Okay. So the second love is the kind of love is the kind of love that teaches us the big lessons. Now, it's difficult because it can bring a lot of pain, a lot of lying, and grief. This is the kind of love that teaches us to grow, though. It brings all of the challenges. But however, some people do not work to learn those lessons, and they get stuck in a cycle of repeating this second hard love over and over again. I mean, I feel like that does track when you see people who continue to go after the same type of person, the same traits or toxic situations. And you're like, why can't they get out of that? This makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yes, this is like everyone I know at some point Mm -hmm. in your life, you know, like I'm, it's like when people date the same person, like by a different name over and over again, go for what you know. Yeah. And then there's third love also known as easy love. This to me, I'm going to give it a different name. I'm going to call this great love. Okay. This is the love that nobody expects. This love is healing. It's simple. It's easy and uncomplicated. Okay. I like that. 
Doesn't that sound nice? Mm-hmm. That sounds so nice. It's like my boyfriend that I just broke up with. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm a mess. All right. So I thought that was really cool and interesting to talk about. And I was like, wow, that's really well put. Like it's such Mm -hmm. a simple way of talking about love over a lifetime. And then there's some other things. What does true love feel or look like? True love. Oh, this was really poetic. This art, this writer was getting really poetic with this. True love (laughs) feels more like an answer than a question. What do you think about that? What does that mean? Like really? Well, I think it kind of makes you feel more complete. So you're not really searching or looking for something because that person kind of just checks all the boxes or answers all the, as she said, or he or she says, answers all the questions. Like you just don't feel like you need to look or search anymore. Okay. Feels like you can like rest with them. Yeah. It feels calm. Okay. You care about this person unconditionally. Okay. I agree with that. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think sometimes people take that to mean you're going to be with them unconditionally. You can care about someone unconditionally if they like develop a behavior that is not healthy. You can still care about them and not be with them. So, Oh, correct. But it's more, I mean, I view it more as, um, you know, you're that not trying to change them. Oh yeah. Okay. I get that. I like your definition. That makes sense. You fully accept your partner. Kind you, of the same tone, yeah. Yeah. Then what reminds me of what you were saying before about, and you, you've you said this before, Dane, that you, something that you really look for is someone that gets you, who understands you, who sees mm-hmm. you for who you are. You fully accept your partner. You can talk about anything. Mm-hmm. That's hard to find because we all bring all our triggers and like baggage and emotional stuff into these romantic relationships. And sometimes you find, or a lot of times you find you can't talk about everything with that person because it gets yeah. upset. <laughs> But then on the flip side, you realize when you're in something good, when you're not holding those things back in an appropriate way, like we've talked about having other people that not just your partner that you're bringing all of your stuff to, but you know, there's a difference with that versus withholding because, Oh, if I say this, how are they going to react? Are they still going to care about me? Or can they accept this piece of me? And like in certain relationships, you will hold those pieces back. But when you are more open with who you are and sharing that, it's usually a good sign that you're in something that's healthy. Yeah. You're completely yourself with this person. That's great. Agree with that. Yeah. Love it. You respect each other. You have similar values and your happiness levels feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah. by that, they mean when they're happy, you're happy, not in a codependent way, but mm-hmm. you want to make each other happy. Their success is your success. You're really rooting for them. So I thought that was nice. And the last one, and I like this, you're a team. Mm-hmm. That too. I like this list. Honestly, this list reminds me a lot of my relationship right now with Tyler. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do see a lot of those pieces of communication and being open and accepting each other and being comfortable and all of those things, which I don't often always get in a relationship. And all of those things, you know, are lining up, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, something I've found so often in a, in a lot of my relationships are, I know for me, I hold back at times because I just, I don't know how they're going to act or how they're going to take it. Like you don't feel like you can totally be yourself. I think, and I think this might be kind of common for most people. You don't necessarily feel like you can totally be yourself. Like, mm-hmm. and so you kind of protect yourself and you don't really let go. So I don't know. I, I thought I was thinking about the shadow side of this. So that was interesting to me. Yeah. One thing I noticed very early on with Tyler, like I think 
it was only the second time he had visited. And because we'd so we'd spent, I don't know, two and a half days together for our first date weekend. And then uh, he came back a few weeks later and he flew in on Labor Day, like Labor Day Monday. And I didn't want to miss my time to go to the gym because I'm very, you know, regimented about that. And I didn't want to miss it. And so he like came to my house while I was at the gym and I came home and I'm like a sweaty and disgusting for my workout. Like, because then I was just comfortable. Like I was like, I knew that he accepted me for who I was. And because often in early relationships, you always have to be done up and you don't want them to see you looking sweaty or messy or whatever. And you're so careful. And I was just so comfortable. I'm like, this is who I am. You know me like, and it was just so easy and nice. That's great. Yeah, no, you're right. In my most recent relationship, I felt that way too. Like I felt very comfortable. I didn't feel like he saw me any differently. Like he really like loved me as a person, mm-hmm. not like, cause I was done up. Like I was ready to go out all the time. Yeah. All right. So more scientific stuff. That I found because I wanted to know why do people fall in love with each other? Like what makes you fall in love? What is that recipe? And so I found mm-hmm. some interesting thing, things there. And some of them are a reflection on maybe work we need to do. And some okay. of it I thought was really interesting. All right. First one. And this was like, ooh, this is some ego. It feels like but people tend to fall in love with other people who are like them. And on the good side, shared values. But then also thinking about life experiences, levels of attractiveness and age all can play a major difference (laughs) that people tend to fall in love with other people who are like them. It's like the ultimate ego trip a little bit. Of course, that's my jaded side. I mean, I can see the good things here, obviously. Well, not obviously, because I don't think everyone thinks about this. For me, my number one is we need to have shared values. I need to be, we need to be on the same page about what's right, what's wrong, what matters. Or nothing else matters. You know, it's not going to work. My reality show brain is going to 90 Day Fiance, where you see these people who feel like they have fallen in love with someone who is from another country, often different religions, different ethnic backgrounds backgrounds, different life experiences. Often some people like who are coming from the States who are, you know, the ones who are meeting someone from a different country, they've never traveled abroad before. Like their experiences are very different. And I'm so curious about that, where there is this like enticement of somebody whose life is so, so different where that can be really attractive, but it makes things so much harder because you don't share a lot of those common things. Yeah. Now here's some funny things. There's some evidence that scent can play a role in attraction. Okay. Right. If you keep an open posture, like some of these are a little bit like, "Mm, this is behavioral, but okay. (laughs) But if you keep an open posture, that makes you seem less closed off and more inviting and attractive. So, you know, if you're sitting there turned toward that person, you have an open posture, you don't have your arms crossed, you are more open to them and are more inviting. I totally feel that for first dates where I can tell where my body language is at just from like uh, that comfort level with somebody new and trying to read the situation. And I'm certain there have been many dates where I have read as just being not interested just from like not being comfortable yet, which is probably a turnoff for the other person for sure. Yeah. I mean, like I, if we go get a drink, I love to sit at the bar because you can sit right next to each other. You can hear each other really well. You're, you have some proximity there and you can have that open posture where you're actually getting mm-hmm. to know them. I like to do that. Yeah. Across and the then, table is hard. 
Yeah, I hate that. I hate sitting at a table for the first few dates. I don't know. Somehow it just feels like an automatic wall. And like Mm -hmm. I'm at an interview, honestly. Yeah, it's that interview style date that's not comfortable. All right, here's one that anyone... The men are going to hate this one. I'm just going to say it right now. Height can play a major role in attractiveness, especially for men, in both the short and long term. We've all seen it. I'm 6'1", if it matters. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so hard because sometimes I think it depends on, like, there's, like, a demeanor piece as well. Like, if you're on the shorter side and you lack confidence, which I can understand why that is the case because women you know, tend to like taller men, um, then that presence and stuff like that. Sometimes like it just, other things don't carry through in a way that makes them attractive. I don't, I don't know a great way to say that, but it's like the full package of like demeanor and how you carry yourself and, uh, all of those things that I don't know. And I feel like tall men, I think that on the flip side, a lot of people will say that like a man who's six foot tall, that's his entire personality is being six foot tall. He doesn't try harder for anything else because he's got the height. That's hilarious. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's so funny. And here's one I was like, oh my God, no. Sharing thrilling or scary experiences looks like a great way to jumpstart attraction. Don't ask Laura to do that. (laughs) That's my like nightmare. I'm, I'm, no, I don't like speed. I don't like adrenaline. I don't want any of that. So that would not be um, the way to my heart. Yeah. And I knew this about Laura, but I, I had it up close and personal. We went to Disney and y'all can hear more about it in our thirst trap episode about it. Laura did the walk of shame off of a, a yep. ride. You I and like, I were not going to bond in that moment, Heather. I was out. No, no. Uh, but I did get scared because Laura was, it was after they had locked the seat belts, And I was like, oh my God, Laura's going to have to go on this ride. She's going to have a panic attack right next to me. And this is going to be so bad. We're going to have to go have like 85 drinks after this to calm her down. That's what I thought was about to happen. I knew they were going to let me out. I raised my hand and we flagged someone down and it was fine. Um, I had been on that ride before, so I knew we had a minute, but I did not expect the seatbelt to be locked. So that was a surprise. I I was like, y'all, we just sat down. I thought we were going to have to hold hands and I was going to have to like talk to you the whole time. (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, okay. And then, oh, you're not going to like this one. If you and your crush live close to one another, it's more likely to turn into something that's aggressive. That was aggressively written as an affront to you. Yeah. And that's like, that's so interesting. I don't agree with everything on this list. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. This is just what I read. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. Okay. Okay. And then research, research suggests many people are just drawn to more positive partners, people that have more positive outlook. I mean, I like that. I like the positivity. That makes sense. Cause you don't want to be with somebody who's like a downer about everything. Well, what about those people we see on profiles? Apparently women say it more than men. I've heard I'm fluent in sarcasm. <sighs> That's swipe up for me. See, whenever I see that though, I'm like, oh, this person just started dating. That is the classic, like, this is your first dating app profile. And you think that it's cute and funny because you think it's sexy banter because you're sarcastic and gross. Yeah. Anytime someone has mentioned banter or sarcasm, I'm like, oh, you just, you don't know what you're doing. They're new. They're new here. And I don't want to be a part of that. It's their telltale sign. 
Well, click down though. I actually legitimately don't like sarcasm. I think it's a deflection technique to avoid being a vulnerable, normal person. It's easier to be sarcastic than say something real. Well, I also think it's like, it's a bad way of describing really great rapport. Because I think when you have great rapport with someone and you have similar sense of humor and you can have these like fun, light conversations back and forth. I think people misinterpret that as sarcasm and being able to kind of like throw that, but and like that's different. It's a different tone altogether. I think what they want is really great rapport, but they think it's sarcasm. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I see that. So what do you yeah. think about I mean, this list? Yeah, the whole list is just kind of, it just feels like a lot of really superficial things to mm-hmm. identify attractiveness. And I get that it, attractiveness is important. You need that initial attractive, you know, attraction in order to ideally fall for someone. Um, but I don't, yeah, I mean, attraction doesn't equal love. So these all just felt very surface level to me. What makes you fall in love with someone? That's a great question. Well, I think it's, again, that, that initial attraction is there, but I think the rest of it, just take so much time. Like something that, you know, I feel like we talk a lot about on here is that consistency and the growth and all of those things that just line up. I mean, I do think there's also just that piece that you can't, you can't describe or put it because it's something that if we knew that answer, then again, matchmakers would be unneeded, right? If you knew what it meant and what you needed in order to fall in love with someone, it'd be so much easier to pick a partner, but there's that intrinsic piece that no one can define. Yeah. I think for me, so I was thinking about this. I agree with your assessment of this list. This is like what makes you attractive, not what makes you fall in love. I know for me, I would fall in love with someone who inspires me to be a better person. They push me to grow in certain areas, or there's someone who I want to be more like, I admire them. I respect them. That makes me fall in love with someone right Mm -hmm. there because that's rare. I think. Yeah. I mean, all of these pieces, they get you to some dates, right? And you need multiple dates and that time to really understand someone and how you feel about them. Because I don't think a first date is ever a really great indicator of, you know, if we talk about this, like, are you interested in knowing more Then you'll probably go on a second date? Yeah. And these are pieces that are important. If somebody has, you know, they're positive and they have more open body language and seem interested and you have a similar background and things to talk about and all of that, like that gets you to multiple dates. So yeah, all these things on the list are important for that, but there's so much more that goes into actual love. Yeah. No, I, I so agree. I was looking at this. I was like, that's the big, mm, there's more to it. Yeah. It's much deeper. All right. Something else that I saw a pattern in, and I very much agree with this, that we are responsible for creating love. Okay. That idea that love is a verb, which I very much agree with that. And that's something that I did learn in my evangelical childhood. And I agree with it as an atheist adult. That love is a verb. I show you love by being there for you. If you ask me for your help, for help, and this applies to non-romantic love too. If I love someone, I take that. I am that person. I'm not going to say I love you 
for like at least six months. Like people like haul off and say, I love you after like one, two, three months. And I'm like, what are you talking about? For me, if I say I love you, that means I'm going to be there for you. You go to the hospital, I will be there. I'm going to like, I think it's a very big responsibility and it means something to say, I love you. And to me, it's a verb. It's showing up for that person. It's being there for that person. It's crying with them. It's supporting them. It's loving them. It's being there to help, doing whatever you can to make their life better. That's love. And those are all verbs. It's not Mm -hmm. just, oh, you're so cute. I love being around. Like, you know, I love being around them. It makes me so happy. And yes, that's great. But I don't actually think that's love. That's like, they make you happy. But that's not love. Like love Mm -hmm. is really those deeper, more meaningful actions, which you can also have family members or, you know, your friends that you really care about that. And, you know, I love all of my friends. I love you, Laura. I love my friends. I love my family. You know, at times I have loved people I've been in a romantic relationship with. And that's what I meant when I said, I love you. I will be there for you. I will, you know, and and that's what that means. You show it. It's a verb. It's action. That's love. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's the hard stuff. And often it is also those shared experiences. I feel like this is a very common, like movie scenario where like something, you know, serious or life-changing happens and it brings the two people together and they realize it like opens their eyes to their feelings. But I think there is that kind of bond piece, not a trauma bond, but like, (laughs) That you have that connection that you have, you know, that you're there for somebody through maybe like a serious situation and you're able to support them and see them in a different way. And I think also it's seeing somebody's faults and the stuff that like we talk about that in a lot of relationships, you don't show those things. So when someone is showing you their imperfect parts, that's a pretty significant thing. Yeah. Well, I think what you said was actually pretty profound and it goes back to the unconditional peace thing none of us are perfect and when someone you get to a point in a relationship where you see the imperfect sides of them and you still love them I think that's meaningful mm-hmm. I mean that's when you get to the good stuff I think like there's the whole thing of you know first year is just like fun and games and then you start to get to the more meaningful things that where it really becomes I don't know where it becomes a real thing where things are maybe not as easy all the time Well, and also I think it's being able to see the imperfect parts and not try and change that person because of those imperfections. And I think there's the ability to be supportive. Like you're sharing these things with me. Are you asking for advice or support? That's actually something that I learned from my boyfriend of like, he's like, when you're telling me these things, you just let me know, like, do you want me to weigh in on it? Or do you just want me to be a supportive listener? And like, that helps me understand what you need from me. But I think there's also that piece of, you know, if I'm sharing these things, it's not because I need someone to fix me. Or if you don't like these things about me, you can't try and fix me. Like, that's not like, this is who I am. Like I have to want to choose to change if that's something that's negative or whatever it is, but I'm showing you this because I feel like you love me and that you will accept these pieces of me. Yeah, no, I think it's great. One thing that in some of the articles I was reading about this that I recognized, and I think most people are guilty of this at some point in their life, if not most of the time, that often we spend our time worrying about what our partner feels towards us or how the relationship looks from the outside Mm -hmm. instead of doing the most important thing. And the most important thing is focusing on how you feel in that relationship, putting the outside, the superficial stuff, what it looks like, put that to the side. How cute do you look together? Put that to the side. How do you feel 
with that person? How does that person make you feel? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I had some pieces of this in my marriage where I'm like, oh, we're a cute couple and we have this and these things make sense. And like on the outside, it looked probably looked great. Um, but there was never any focus again on, yeah, how do we make each other feel? Does this make sense? Are we happy together? Was all this just kind of a lot of the superficial pieces a lot of the time? Yeah. True love. Oh, you'll like this one. I like it too, but you've talked about this a lot. So I know you'll like it. True love is feeling like someone sees you on a real level. And that, and I agree that now, okay. So that one's for you. This next one's mm-hmm. for me. Love begins as an emotion, but grows into a verb. Well, that's nice too. I, nice. Well, it's a nice way of putting a long-term relationship because it does grow and evolve. That's mm-hmm. the evolution. That's it. Evo- that's it evolving. How was it said? That's it evolutionizing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a relationship evolving in a really great way where it starts as an emotion and grows into a verb rather than the other direction where you're miserable and hateful and it's really bad in your house. So I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think also, you know, we, we don't really touch a lot on love languages and I know people have opinions about these, but acts of service and things like that, that's, you know, a love language. And that's also kind of, you know, cause I feel like when you kind of grow into a verb, it is more of those, um, actions that really speak loudly that this person knows you so well and loves you so well that um, the, they tend to be, I feel like more focused on acts of service and ways they can make your life better or whatever, but it doesn't start out that way. Usually I feel like that's not something, you know, it's not at the starting point of a relationship. Yeah. So what do you, we covered a lot of ground. What do you, what do you think about all this? What are your thoughts? I mean, if we're going to be really honest, I had never really contemplated this topic before. Um, I think because I've always just accepted that, you know, of course, true love exists. And just like, you know, that quote from earlier from one of our um, listeners who answered our poll, um, if you don't have that idea or that hope that it exists, then what are you doing? Like, I always believe that it's out there. Um and that it is a real thing. So I was never skeptical of the existence of true love, real love. I love it. Yeah. I mean, this episode had me thinking about a whole lot of different things. You know, I am like in the throes of a breakup. So I'm like, especially messy right now, but it made me think about a lot of things. One, I love the focus on taking responsibility, like the stuff about focusing on how you feel. Don't go wandering off into how they feel about you or mm-hmm. whether this makes sense or it looks good on social media, but really thinking about how do you feel in this relationship? That is the most important question. I think people avoid that thinking about that because mm-hmm. it requires you to make some choices, you know? And so I love that. And that's something that I think I want to like take as my initiative to really think about that moving forward. Um, I love the idea that you're really the only one that can feel your loving feelings, like, you know, worrying about how someone else feels about you. That's not about you, you know, and it's just another way to avoid thinking about how you feel and what you think, even though it does feel good to be loved. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I like the reminder to take loving action in your relationship. Um, So I really loved all of that. Um, The other side of it, though, and Laura and I also talked about this a little bit before we started recording, 
So one of the things that Laura is so great about, and like, sometimes I, I wouldn't, I don't get jealous. Like I want to say jealous something, but like I notice, or I observe you get really excited at times, you know, when it's been someone great that turned into a relationship, you get really excited about them and you're really happy and like, Oh, they make me so happy. And you get Twitter pated. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't really do that. And I was like, Oh, am I broken? You know, it kind of makes me like, think about that. Like, why don't I do that? And I actually realized that I think I have some commitment issues. And part of it is I'm hesitant to really put myself out there in a true love way because it's never worked out for me before. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm kind of tired of getting my heart stomped on. And I think it's like at a pathological level almost because it's like a fight or flight instinct. Mm -hmm. I'm making myself sound like a sociopath. I don't mean it like that. I just mean I have like a major fight or flight instinct in there that kicks in and I'm just like worried about what's going to happen. So I'm real, like, I could never get excited when I was pregnant because I had had a miscarriage. We went through an infertility journey. And then one moment I allowed myself to get excited about my twins. I was pregnant and I landed myself in the hospital with early labor the next week. And I regretted getting excited about it. And like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I live my life. And it's not good. I should probably go to therapy for that. (laughs) It's a good topic to cover. I mean, I still have, you know, while I get excited, I still, you know, get nervous about things not working out or, you know, is that person as all in as I am. And I think a lot of this does help reframe that, like we talked about, you can only control yourself and your own actions and really focus on who you are and how you are in that relationship. And if it's the right situation, then the other person will be putting in that same and equal effort um, rather than you overcompensating or again, ignoring. I think ignoring is just a huge thing that happens. The why disrupt things? And we look great together. We're such a cute couple. This makes sense. I feel like that's such a common one. Well, we just make sense. We line up in these ways. We, you know, we have mutual friends and all of this, like all of these things that you kind of justify that relationship rather than looking deeper into like the real stuff. Yeah. No, I, I think this is a fascinating topic. Now here's my follow-up and this is me being the skeptical side, but I'm, I really am asking, cause I wonder that like, does everyone get to experience true love? I think everybody has the opportunity, but there's that piece of, you know, what situations you're in and what choices you make. I think a lot of it comes down to choices. If you're staying long-term in a relationship that isn't working and probably isn't true love, then you may miss the boat on getting to experience those things. Or if you're not open to it, or if, like you said, if you um, tend to be more fearful of being open to those things and those experiences. So I think everybody has that opportunity, but it's kind of how, how things unfold. Yeah. No, I think you're right. You know, and how I've started to talk about it too is, is this, is this my great love story? Is this your great love story? You know, Laura and I, of course, talk about love and relationships quite a bit. And sometimes a story will pop up, like someone's in a toxic relationship or something, this, that, or the other is going on. They're like, I'm trying to make it work. And I kind of sit back and I want to ask them, is this your great love story? Doesn't sound Mm -hmm. like it. You know, this person that's cheating on you and you're trying to make it work, this person's doing drugs, 
and you're putting up with it. This person's yelling at you, calling you names. You're crying all the time. Is this your great love story? I don't think it is, you know, and, nope. but the, you may, people make choices to stay and that, that really does come down to choices. So I don't know. I just think that's interesting. I, I, I think I like putting it that way. I, everyone has an opportunity to experience true love, but it comes down pretty heavily to the choices you make and the work you put in and the open heart or lack of that you bring mm-hmm. to yourself. Yeah. Not even to the other person, but to yourself. Are you choosing yourself in a good and positive way? This episode was challenging for me. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a big topic. Yeah. So anyway, well, y'all let us know what you think. If you have any thoughts about this, we would love to hear it. You can send us an email or on social media. If you're following us, we're at Thirsty the Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Send us a message. We'd love to hear what you think. You might read it on the air. Happy Valentine's Day. Yay. Bye. Bye. Still thirsty? You can get bonus content by subscribing to The Thirst Trap on Spotify or Apple. Or shop Thirsty Gear at thirstythepodcast.com. And don't forget to share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms.